welcome to Only Yesterday. Uh, my name is Tony, and today we've got a very special guest. Uh, who are you? My name is Shauna. Nice to meet you, Shauna. And today we're discussing compassion fatigue, a.k.a. giving compassion versus receiving compassion, a.k.a. weaponized compassion. Um, so sources for today are compassion fatigue among healthcare, emergency, and community service workers, a systematic review by Fiona Cocker and, oh wow, Nerida Joss from the Melbourne School of Population and Global Health from the University of Melbourne, Australia. Um, we've got Compassion, Hard to Define, Impossible to Mandate by Raymond Chadwick um, from the Teesside University, um, the School of Health and Social Care. We've also got the section, What is Secondary Traumatic Stress from the Administration for Children and Families. So what is compassion? How would you define compassion? I didn't realize how hard this question was until, you know, I was reading mm -hmm. through the show notes and stuff. And I was, I thought I knew what compassion was. We say it all the time, but um, I would say that it's the ability to put yourself kind of in somebody's shoes um, and feel the pain that they're going through with, you know, trying to show that you're there to do anything that you could like anything in your power to help them out. So that's okay. what I was going to say. No, it sounds, it sounds great. I think that's a really good um, definition. It's almost like if you could, if you could even, if I could condense it even more, I would be like mobile empathy. Yeah. Like you have empathy yeah. for people to the point that you're willing to, you know, move mountains. You're willing to go as far as you can to help them because, you know, you are so empathetic. Mm -hmm. So one of the, uh, one of the definitions we're going to use uh, regarding compassion, um, it is a deep awareness of the suffering of another accompanied by a desire to relieve it. Um, literally suffering with another person, um, a feeling of sorrow or sympathy caused by the sufferings and misfortunes of another. Um, and I think that's really key. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be in suffering, right? It can just be like you're compassionate that your friend has did something wonderful. So you want to celebrate with them, you know, like it can be, it can be many things, but most times it's suffering related. Right. Uh, right. And it's also that physical need to show them that you want to help them out. It's not just feeling the empathy part. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, so the term compassion fatigue was coined to describe the phenomenon of stress resulting from the exposure to a traumatized individual rather than exposure from the trauma itself. It's often an extreme state of tension and preoccupation with the emotional pain and or physical distress of those, you know, of those other individuals. And so if you are helping someone, um, that can create a secondary traumatic stress for the caregiver. And when converged with cumulative burnout, Right. When you're just like so tired, like just physically tired of actually doing this mm -hmm. stuff, um, a state of physical and mental exhaustion um, caused by a depleted ability to cope with one's everyday environment causes compassion fatigue. That's basically what we're dealing with today, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. So there's many different symptoms of compassion fatigue, a.k.a. secondary trauma. Um, and again, like for those listeners, if you've heard on any of the episodes before, um, I work with at risk youth. And adolescence specifically. So trust and believe secondary trauma, AKA compassion fatigue, this shit is real. Um, people feel it all the time. Um, and so some of the symptoms may include isolation, anxiety, dissociation, physical ailments, and sleep disturbances. 
Additionally, compassion fatigue is associated with a sense of confusion, helplessness, and a greater sense of isolation from the supporters than is seen with burnout. However, it is preventable and is treatable. So thank God for that. Absolutely. So where do you work? Where do you work? We're not necessarily where, but in what field? I work, I work at the local hospital and I work on the telemetry unit, which is where we monitor the hearts and um, deal with, you know, some of the open hearts and um, a lot of like the heart cast, stuff like that. Uh, CHF, COPD. So like so, really intense shit. Right. And I am a PCT, which is a glorified um, name for the nursing assistant. Mm-hmm. So that's, I work alongside the nurses with on that floor. Nice. So I'm sure that you're mm-hmm. appreciated. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so mm-hmm. do you have some examples of uh, compassion fatigue from the field? I mean, that's what, what your boss is in any medical um, field. I feel like do, they, they play on your compassion, right? They mm-hmm. they tell you how important it is and how, you know, you're such an, a great person because you're so compassionate and, and they make you feel there, there's no, it's so, it's so hard to put into words. Like they, they play on that to guilt you into giving everybody your all right. But they're not there to have your back when you're being verbally abused by family members of said patients or the patients themselves. We had Mm. patients throwing full cans of pop at a nurse's head and the nurse was removed by security from our hospital um, because she didn't just give the patient what they wanted, which I was not there that day. So I'm not exactly sure what they were requesting. Either way, you don't throw heavy cans of pop at people's heads when you're upset. Right. Um, But our management went and gave that person um, like a gift card to a local restaurant, I think. And uh, told them that they apologized for the nurse's behavior. Wait, and, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's like the most, that's just one of the minor, like little stories I have. But wow. Okay. I'm trying to think of like the ones where the management was very hands on, like in the situation and didn't have our backs um, and, and the lack of compassion from anybody else towards what we do. So the nurse was just trying to do her job. It was probably, you know, we have a lot of patients on um, like fluid restrictions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they're on Lasix for their their heart problems. And uh, so we have an enormous amount of patients that demand to have water or their 15th ginger ale for the day. <laughs> okay. And they get so angry and so mean to the nurses and stuff. And it's probably what had happened was they were asking for something like that and or, well, they were throwing pops, so it was probably something else they wanted. But, um, and, and something minor, but the nurse was probably doing her job trying to keep that patient safe or follow doctor orders and end up getting very hurt and then escorted out. Wow. Um, I think on so many levels, I, I just kind of want to, I want to discuss that for just a moment. Or I just, I at least want to yeah. talk about it because from from the person who's saying, hey, I'm doing everything I can to maintain the situation. Like I'm trying to, you know, follow the rules, follow the protocols, and also, you know, maintain the situation because you can't like everything's on a case by case basis. You can't just one size fits all for healthcare. Um, right. I think that for the organization, and I mean, really, in any organization, to say, okay, well, because this nurse said, "Hey, you can't have whatever," in line with our protocol, um, mm-hmm. we're going to escort the nurse out and then give you 
unruly ass patient. We're going to give you a fucking gift card, bro. Matter of fact, I'm going to pay you because for what, bro? Okay. And, and again, you know, it's case by case. I wasn't there, so I can't necessarily say one way or the other, but, and then for an organization to say, Hey, this is what you need to do. You need to feel so bad for your clients, your, your um patients that, you know, you want to be there for them. And of course we do, you know, like we, we mm-hmm. are, we're caretakers. We, we want to empathize. We sympathize with them. But then to say, not only are you going to do that, we have all these other people who are calling off work. So I'm gonna need you to work at least four, five, 16 hour shifts this week. Um, and then on top of that, I'd really appreciate it if you could just be compassionate about it, bro. If you could just like be happy about that, that'd be great. Um, right. Sorry that you have no sleep in the last three days or you have kids that you have to worry about. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we don't really care what happens outside of the job, but if you could just like put on your happy face and like give us 110% all the time with no errors, which is mind blowing that they think that they can push their employees so much and have no errors. Um, just never have a bad day ever because patients come first. And I think the hospital has become more of a, like you go there to get help from professionals who know what they're doing. You're supposed to trust the people that are going to make you feel better, but it's become more of that business mindset where the customer is always right. So, Hmm. you know, we have patients that come in and especially after holidays where people eat too much ham or something too, too much salt. Right. And they cut brought into the heart, heart floor or whatever. And then, want to continue what they did at home while they're in the hospital. We have people, I just had a lady order three different combo meals from a Chinese restaurant and had it delivered to the hospital on our floor. And there was nothing we could do about it, but we had to be compassionate that she went into heart failure completely the next day. So wow. (laughs) And that it was preventable. And exactly. I'm sorry to hear that. That's terrible. Um, And it reminds me of a story like, not even a whole story, but like just situations in different organizations, like one that I can think of right now, you know, they provide care for the adolescents. And then there are situations where the adolescents will get, you know, super out of, out of order, just breaking shit, punching stuff, like throwing stuff, like being all sorts of disruptive, taking the staff members attention away from the other kids who need it to then demand that it be placed on this one person. And even though there may be contracts involved saying, hey, you guys need to be able to take in however many kids from or mm-hmm. other organizations. Um, the fact of the matter is we need this money. So you guys need to figure out how to deal with it, even though they absolutely need a higher level of care than what that organization can provide. And so yep. it's, uh, again, this Anything. is more of this weaponized compassion. Yeah. Yep. Why do you think it is important that we, you know, have compassion in our lines of work? Well, um, for the patients at the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it's so important that the nurses, the doctors, the the aides, everybody that's involved with them um, are compassionate because it does show like they get better faster. They, you know, heal faster. They, um, you know, just they're overall stay there is a better experience. The hospital doesn't have to be so scary for everyone and, and everything. Cause it, I mean, especially through COVID when they had no visitors, um, now we only have visitors from, uh, like 9am to 9pm. So a lot of these older people that have never left their husbands or wives ever, not for one night, you know, and now they have to be alone all of a sudden. So, Mm. um, 
it's just it's a very very scary like place to be if you can't if you if you don't think your nurse or your your medical team that's taking care of you has any compassion for you yeah and i i can agree with that for sure uh, especially like um in, in my field of work yeah um there's a kid who was there for the first time and this is this was actually pretty recent um kid who was there for the first time he was feeling super overwhelmed with the environment and the situation yet no one had come to have a one-on-one and just sit down and talk to him like hey what are you going through how are you feeling like i have you ever been here before type stuff um mm-hmm. and i discovered through that conversation that he was suicidal um he hadn't discussed about he hasn't talked to anyone or thought about setting goals um actively on heroin um has a bunch of different family stressors and the like and it's just being overwhelmed in the environment that you have no idea like who any of these people are what i'm supposed to do just having someone reach out and be like hey i i don't know what you're going through please help me understand like who are you like where do you come from like i think that's super powerful um and it gives people a lot of hope in humanity. Like that's the desire, right? Like that's the desired outcome. Absolutely. Uh, so we've, we're going to be talking about, um, again, giving compassion, receiving compassion. So I have, a, I got a question for you. Okay. When was like the, the one time that you gave someone compassion in the field, um, be it either organization or a patient, and you just saw you saw the difference that you made right then and there. Like, what about one of them stories? Um, okay. So this one is, it's, it seems so minor compared to what we do there, but, uh, for me, it was huge. So we had a guy, he was, um, so when you're on my floor, you have to wear the heart monitor, right? Mm. You cannot take that off. Uh, So many patients are there for weeks at a time and they cannot shower. We can't like even let them get in the shower to, to clean up and stuff. Uh, We have wipes and, and, and stuff like that, but it's still not the same, you know? So um, we had one gentleman that was very, um, he, he was, he was very shy. Like he didn't really want help cleaning up. He was, he was older. He was bigger. He, you know, and um and he just got to completely dis just disheveled state, right? And and nobody everybody kind of gave up on him. And um, so I'd been talking to him, trying to kind of coax him into letting me help him clean up or whatever, and he just started sobbing. And I, you know, asked him what was going on, and he was going home the next day. He knew he was getting discharged, and he, he said that his hair, his beard that had grown into like a Santa Claus beard, um, the, like the state of his hygiene, everything was going to terrify his neighbor who was a little boy that just, he absolutely adored, like just waving him off to the bus, like talking to him after school. Like that was kind of this old man's like joy for the day. And he's like, he's not even going to recognize me. He's not going to like trust me or, 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 or want to be around me. Cause I look so scary. So I, um, all it took was giving this guy a quick shave. I gave him a little haircut and uh, cleaned him up and everything. And he was just then he was sobbing with joy and it was that instant moment of, okay, I like helped somebody feel better in that moment. And again, I mean, I, I have nurses and doctors saving lives every day with very serious heart conditions, but as an aide, I can only do so much. So that was like huge for me. And I think huge for him too. 
I mean, that sounds great. And I think that's just those little moments, you know, just being a human being for just a moment. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I'm not here to worry about the medicine, sir. I'm not here to bill you. I'm not here to fucking, you know, take your clothes and give you a brand new for, I mean, I mean, I am if, if that's what you need, but I mean, like, like right. that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for like you <laughs> as a person, you know? Um, I think that's great. Uh, what about the organization? I mean, let's say outside of working outlandish hours, um, what else have you done for the organization that's, um, you know, a good compassion story? Yeah, you were like, I freaking helped with this protocol or fucking they were doing this over here. And I was like, yeah, nah, you, we, we should actually be doing this for our patients or clients. Um, so I took it upon, before I worked at the hospital, I had 10 years experience in an Alzheimer's and dementia nursing home. Mm. And I loved that job. I wouldn't have left uh, if it wasn't for, like I told you, I had a stroke from working too much and, and everything. Um, but I, um, I picked up this fascination with Alzheimer's. I picked up on, um, I, I was always looking at different techniques on how to approach, how to engage, how to redirect Alzheimer's patients. And when I got to the hospital, I was shocked they didn't have anything there was, there was no training for new nurses um, on how to deal with them. Uh, I actually, I was very upset <laughs> when I first started a little lady, probably 90 pounds soaking wet with full-blown dementia, uh, didn't want to take her medicine. And she kicked over a very small cup of water at a nurse. And he called a, um, it was a code gray before uh, which sent security and psych and everyone to the room. It, it's like if you had a belligerent patient trying to punch a nurse, but all she did was knock over a cup and he said she was being belligerent and non-compliant and all this stuff. And hmm. so that's how they reacted to, to uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, just confused. We have, we have patients that have hospital um, uh, delirium from just older patients that are normally cognitive and, and alert and oriented times three, but, you know, after being there for days and days and not going outside or getting out of bed, you know, they get confused where they are um, or they start hallucinating. And and there's no there was no like training for that. So I pushed really, really hard for that. Um, and now they they did add that to um, we have we have uh, redirecting training now. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, I'm the sole reason for that by any means, but I push really hard and I'm the person they call now when they have a confused patient because those are my people. I can talk to them now. So that's they always awesome. call me in first. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. Like, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're, you're making waves um, and also in a very good way. Uh, yeah, no worries. Next uh, subject we've got here is demanding compassion in the field from the clients and the organizations, right? Com- clients saying, hey, you give me compassion. And the organization said, you give me compassion. You give them compassion versus mm-hmm. the compassion that you receive. Um, so tell me about the levels of compassion that you receive in the field versus, you know, the compassion you give. Yeah, this is like the one that I was saying, it's going to take, you know, a whole five-part series. Yeah, got to break it down. <laughs> right, but... um. You know, we get so much slack from, uh, I would say it's not even the patients that are the worst part. It's their families that expect us to do so much over what we're, we're supposed to do. Um, 
And and then they tell you, you're not compassionate. You don't care about my family member uh, because you didn't get them ice water while you were doing CPR on that patient down down the hall. Like, you know, you didn't answer my call bell within 15 seconds. And now I'm going to have to report you to your supervisor. Um, you know, I had, wow. I've had multiple, multiple people like family members stand over my shoulder as I was changing somebody that was incontinent and, Oh, is that a red mark? Did you do that? You know, no, I, I just got on shift, ma'am. You know, I've been here 15 minutes. This is not this isn't from me, but you know, we're, it's just red. It's not even a sore yet. You know, we'll take care of it. So I'm aware of it now, you know, but um, nope, nope, this is, this is, this is unacceptable. And um, I'm going to have to take down your name and report you to your managers. Um, you know, they, we have a, a way to call our house supervisor of the hospital and I'm sure every hospital does, but um, it, it's, if they're being, if they think they're being abused and they can't talk to their direct nurse, it's a number that they can call to get in touch with the house supervisor, and then they will come and talk to that patient. You know, and and that's a very good real system to have. You, you should you should absolutely have that in place. But patients call it all the time because mm. I ran out of turkey sandwiches that night, or I again didn't answer their call bell in a timely manner, or. Um, they saw a different nurse that's not even on our unit standing in the corner talking on her cell phone. So clearly we don't do anything. <laughs> and, um, you know, they just, they, I don't, I don't get what I, our, our unit is so busy. Nobody sits down. I mean, patients or the nurses and, and the aides are constantly moving and they still just don't think we do enough, but I, I don't really know what they want us to do or, or those, you know, I know you have 18 patients to take care of, but you haven't been in this room long enough when I've spent already an hour or something like that. But, um, so it's, you know, the family members are, are a lot, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not everybody, you know, you have those amazing patients too, but, hmm. and yeah. then the, the company too, I hate <laughs> when you have higher ups going, well, we give you all these resources, for instance, we have a site that our company um, has given us all free access to that helps with um, mental um, me mental illness, uh, stress problems. It even has like a, a way to get in touch with someone to help with your budgeting so you're not stressed about money. Um, you get like three or four free sessions with a therapist. That's fantastic. I went around before we enter this interview and zero out of 25 people that I asked knew anything about it. Mm. Um, because you cannot, you have to have a special like login thing that they send in your email. They send it once, probably in the beginning of the pandemic, um, when nobody was focused on that yet. Uh, and then you never get like kind of urged to check back into it or, or you don't have anyone saying, Hey, like I didn't, see you uh log in yet you know have you did you know you have these resources available but in the for the company they can put posters up or they can tell their people like oh we take great care of our employees like their mental health is great because you know we offer all of these resources for them but you know it's not our fault that they don't use them you know kind of deal Mm -hmm. I only knew about it because I'm just a dork that always checks my email like I'm somewhat important and I'm gonna get like CC'd on something great but um <laughs> I, you know, that's the only reason I knew about it when it came out. And even then when I tried to get on the site, it was so 
it's it's not confusing, but the time that you have to at work is so minimal to, you know, and you have to be on it, our like secure system at the hospital. Um, so to navigate that site in a timely manner was just impossible. There was way too much going on and, and it was just, I don't know, like certain things I thought, like when I was trying to set up therapist appointments, mm-hmm. I ended up getting redirected to 10 minute meditation videos. And I didn't even know how I got there. It was just a very messy website in itself. But like I said, no one's even using it because they didn't know about it. That raises a good point. Um, I'm glad, like, we actually mentioned this in, I think it was the surviving domestic violence part two episode. Um, The availability of resources. However, we need to have the acknowledgement of the availability, right? So right. If, if we're able to, as a as an organization, as a, a company or whatever, we're able to put so much money in advertising, we say, hey, we'll get this stuff done. Come on over here. We got fucking all medicine galore. We've got so many different locations on fucking, we got money for commercials. We got money for billboards. We got all this. Why do we not have just the slightest a bit of money for like, you know, some posters around the hospital that, that or around whatever organization that say, oh, hey, heard you struggling? Come over here. Come freaking hit this link. Come through. This is what you need. Here's all the access to all the resources you need. Like it shouldn't exactly. be it shouldn't be so difficult for people who are struggling to find the access to the resources that they need. Like ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Expected compassion versus spontaneous compassion. Um, so should compassionate care be understood as a service aspiration or even as a measurable performance target? Or by its nature, does it have to be a spontaneous and unexpected one if it's to be, you know, if it's to have a good effect? Um, and this was a question posed by, I should have his name. I believe I said it somewhere in the sources. And if not, it's fine because it's a quote. <laughs> so um, what do you think? Do you think uh, compassion should be expected or should it be spontaneous, especially in your field? This this one got me. because, And I even asked around too, because I'm like, how should I respond to this one? But I think that... Um, it, it should, compassion should always have an effect, you know? Uh, but I feel like a lot of times people don't even realize we're being compassionate until we do something way above and beyond. Mm. So, so yes, it should be, I mean, you have to be compassionate if you're in healthcare, if you work with the public in general, you need to be compassionate. Um, and I think that a lot of people, I, I I feel like in the last two years, people forgot that that's what we're doing, that we are being compassionate in that moment. They just expect us to constantly, you know, um, or, or they just expect it. But then if you do something crazy big, like a big, you know, showboat kind of uh, uh, thing for them, then they are like, oh, yeah, that person's compassionate, not the nurse that, you know just came in with a smile on her face and made sure she fluffed all 15 of my pillows and, you know, um, got me everything that I needed in that moment so that she wouldn't have to come back in a hundred times. She took care of me so well, but that's just her doing her job. But, you know, this other nurse went all the way to the vending machine to get me my favorite bag of chips that I shouldn't even be having, but she went out of her way to get that bag of chips and she's compassionate. She really gets me. Wow. That's that's great, actually. I'm, I'm perfect response. I could not have said it. I wouldn't have wanted to say it better. That's that's perfect. Um, so yeah, especially in the field of you know healthcare or caretaking in any capacity, um, it should be 
the at least the bare minimum that we have compassion for other people because you know we we care for them this is specifically why we're in this field now when it becomes you know when it is unexpected when you do you know like you know what i feel a little bit extra today you know what i mean i'm a, i'm going to make sure this person has a good time let me let me go ahead and you know cut this man's hair let me get him you know nice and clean let me make sure that he don't scare the little neighbor boy um <laughs> it's so i think that that level of compassion i think can be oh wow i don't even know how to verbalize what i'm thinking right now like it's great it, it would be i guess in an ideal world everyone would have that level of compassion not to say that they would do that for every single person all the time because that shit gets exhausting but to have that capacity to say i will and can go above and beyond for whomever when it's you know when it's spontaneous right like could you imagine like a like a <laughs> when i when i actually wrote this part um i was thinking about like nurses doing like a fucking flash mob right like spontaneous compassion like everyone just <laughs> jumping out like hey here's your freaking medication you need to go see your dog boom you want to play guitar here you go like uh, like yeah. perfect work working as like an oil or well-oiled machine just like yes yeah. i get it <laughs> so yeah i think that having you know in the field it should be expected absolutely but sometimes spontaneous can also be um just as effective sometimes if not more um so and, and how hard is it though like uh i i think people aren't seeing now you know there's a lot of people that i started working with four years ago that are not the same person i don't think anybody's the same person after last year's but hmm. um that have not been as nice or as compassionate towards people and i've noticed this huge change and um not really anything else just just little interactions with patients and stuff where I can see them being snippy or shorter, um, tempered and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the families, um, just assume that, you know, they're, they're this horrible nurse or they don't know what they're doing or they have like, why are they even in this field? But nobody sees when you get berated by family member after family member, and then go in the next room and it's the patient giving you crap. And then, you know, you, you're constantly getting pushed to work more. Nobody is really rolling that into one big ball and giving you the benefit of the doubt that that it's been very difficult for everyone just because we're in healthcare doesn't mean we have this superpower to block out everything else going on um and just be happy and 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 again compassionate towards you at all times if you yell at us we it's very difficult to keep calm and we are expected to all the time <laughs> yeah I'm so glad you said that. Like, it's perfect. Like, we're, as caretakers, we're expected to be yelled at, and we are expected to be able to handle that as a professional. Um, exactly. But on the low key, I'm like, bro, you yelled at me when I'm not in this freaking work outfit. We're going to have furniture move, and we're going to have a different conversation. <laughs> really? <laughs> um, One thing so I've seen, I've seen a lot of nurses and, and aides, and I, I've even, I had to do this, like, the last couple months, like, I, you know, I'm here to take care of you and I'm happy to do that. And I'm happy to help you out in any way. But if you're going to continue to talk to me that way, I'm going to step out and I'm going to let you calm down or I'm going to give us some time and I'll come back. And, and you know, when you're ready to talk to me like a person, <laughs> then mm. I'll come back. And, and I think that was like something that kind of everybody was, it, that was kind of like a no, no before the last like year, I would say, you know, it was kind of, you, you didn't say that that was giving attitude back then, you know? And, um, but the more like short tempered everybody's gotten and, and rude people have gotten, like 
now it's we have to stand up for ourselves. There's nobody there to to you know, and we did not sign up to be abused as as healthcare workers. You know, we didn't sign up for that part of it. We know it's not ever going to be easy, but you don't have to be berated just for showing up to work. Absolutely. Yep. So again, I'm so glad you're doing this episode. Like this, I could not have chosen a different person. Like this is perfect. Um, because it's it's true, you know, like we're we're out here doing our best. And so I just treat me like a human. Yeah. Like, and if you mm-hmm. like you're saying, like if if someone's being super aggressive, super unreasonable, um, we'll separate, we'll isolate. Uh, not necessarily isolate, but we'll separate. So we'll take uh the rest of the other kids to another part, like we'll go outside or go to the computer lab, whatever. And we'll have a one-on-one with the staff and the problem person, whomever that person is. Sometimes that problem person happens to get like hella, hella aggressive. Then we're like, yo, on-site officers, can y'all just come on yeah. through real quick? Um, but the notion that um, we have to wear so many hats um, is, is important. And I think that should be taken into account, especially if you're a patient, in healthcare, understand that this person taking care of you has a whole fucking life outside of this job, and it may be very stressful. So just try to be empathetic about what they may be going through. So why is this important? Um, the compassion and empathy shown by healthcare, emergency, and community service professionals can prove physically, mentally, and economically costly. In short, exposure to patients or clients experiencing trauma or distress can negatively impact a professional's mental and physical health, um, the safety and their well-being, as well as that of their families. And that's something to keep in mind. Um, The people that they care for and their employing organizations. So like we're saying, um, if I have a bad day or if someone is particularly stressful, like I had going in every single day, nine to five freaking, and I'm just dealing with this one problem person all the time, like I might be at home a bit less open. Yeah. I might just be like, I just need to give me a second or I might be more short tempered or whatever the case may be. And that, that goes all the way around. Like, because we're, we're fucking humans. We don't live in a vacuum. We, we live together. (laughs) Exactly. As I had told you, you know, it was like, you have like a, a a meter of um, compassion and, and when you have it just constantly drained at your job, and you have like nothing left to give your family. And it's not, you're, you're not trying to, to do that on purpose. It's just, it's so overwhelming on every sense of, of yourself, like every system, everything, like you just need quiet or you just need to be left alone almost to like reboot that, that meter and your family, you know, expects you to give them the same level of compassion and you should, you should want to do that for your family. Your job should not take priority, but it was, that was a very big thing for me is that I let that meter drain every day at work mm. and I was struggling to give my family what they needed. And it, and it, I made it almost like a victim thing for myself. Cause I was like, you guys don't see what I go through at work, but you know, I, I had a hard time taking responsibility for myself as well saying okay i need to put boundaries up at work so that i can have 50% of that meter goes to you know my job and 50% is left for my family mm. and i can't blame my family for not understanding what i go through and you know i had to take some responsibility there as well and i i did see that you know it, it's huge with everything going on again i think a huge 
change happened in the last two years, especially in healthcare. You know, we had the the great um, uh, what did they call it? The resignate great resignation mm-hmm. where everybody left. Everybody left bedside manner or care. Um, you know, we have probably one third, if not less, of the staff that I had two years ago. Now it's all travel people, and it's people like me that kind of like have young kids where I'm not going anywhere. I have insurance through there. I'm not going to leave that job and I can't travel because of the kids. And then there's like the OGs that are just like so close to retirement and they're not going to leave. But that's it. All the good new nurses all left for traveling because at least then you don't get as drained. You know, you don't have to deal with the same patients or the same staff or the same corporation and stuff like, um, you know, you don't have to deal with it for a longer period of time than like what, six or eight weeks at a time. But yeah, I I just, it took me a very long time to put up those boundaries to make sure my family doesn't fall apart because of my job. Yeah. And I think that's important as well. Um, Having those boundaries, like both as like for your personal boundaries and then having boundaries for your profession. Like there's, I, I can't tell you how many times I, I could have gotten even more involved in a particular case and, you know, did this this that and the third to go above and beyond but i realized if i do that if i stay here you know however many hours later like my wife and child are still going to be home they're still going to be you know wanting me to come home they're still going to be going through what they're going through so it's um it's a balance and i think that it, i'm glad you said that seriously um so why it's important um to have the, why it's important to have compassion why it's important to check oneself when we're discussing compassion um one reason is occupation effectiveness um so becoming more effective at a profession which requires a certain level of compassion or care um if you understand yourself better you can hopefully do that better um personal growth so developing oneself to become more understanding and sympathetic towards others um will again like increase your compassion hopefully uh, if we're you know being mindful in our development here um synergy and symbiosis i actually wanted to write this one down specifically uh to work together with each other um and make sure that our journey is less stressful than it already is because like i told the clients at work if everything was going great in your life you would not be here but everyone's journey is different something that you've mastered someone else has no idea how to handle and the inverse is true so to understand that there's people along this life who are struggling with something, but you might be able to have some sort of influence or be able to help in any way, shape or form do that shit. Um, because we're all here together, like literally on the same earth. So let's right. do I love that one too, because they, they all make fun of me on my unit because I try so hard to collectively keep everyone's vibrations up and their positivity up. And a lot of times people look like they want to punch me in the face because I'm like, well, that might have sucked, but what did we learn from this? Like, <laughs> and uh, but but I I got so sick of it. Yes, everybody has bad days. Every you know, and and I again, I had a very rough year last year, um, struggling with those boundaries, struggling with my family life versus job, struggling with just normal job stuff like being understaffed. Um, and, and we're getting sicker and, and heavier, uh, like more needy patients on a unit that shouldn't have those kind of patients. Um, so it's, it's a lot of that, but I, um, I got so sick of people walking in the door and instantly complaining and instantly being so negative and they didn't even do anything yet. Right. And I was like, 
and I, and I, again, I get it. Everybody's not like super happy and pumped all the time, but, but when you put that negativity out there and then it just snowballs person to person, then it'll never get better. And we'll never have staff and we'll never have, you know, a good patient ever again, ever like, well, you know, it's going to be chaos for the rest of our lives here. And we're all just stuck. And, and I was like, or, or we could be, you know, like we're, we're here and we're not going anywhere. I'm not changing my job just because I'm not super happy in the moment. So let's just try to like, how can I make your job easier and how can you make my job easier and work together? Great. And I'm like, maybe we can have a good shift if we think that it might happen. Yeah. And that's, that's important as well, right? Like if we just continue to focus on the negative, then that's all we're really going to talk about. So, I mean, if we can focus on what we can do to make this at least a little better, or if we can influence and change it, that'd be great. But yeah, just try to be a little positive. You know, it might help from time to time. Even if it sucks, like we can laugh it off. If you can keep some kind of happy mindset at some point, that would be great. Yeah. I got to work on that for sure. So what can we do? Um, regarding individuals, um, you know, your life balance, you can diversify your interests, um, do relaxing relaxation techniques on your downtime to, again, this is, we're talking about how to manage compassion fatigue. Um, you can get into your creative expression, whatever you like to do, like journal, or if you like to freaking balance rocks. So then you can make it look all nice and fucking square and all do that or dancing, <laughs> hiking, fishing, like whatever it is, um, get your creative expression out there. Do that. Um, singing in the car, singing in the car. There you go. I like <laughs> it. Do it, you know, working on your interpersonal communication skills, or you could also do therapy, um, for organizations. Um, they can adopt policies that promote and support staff self-care, much like the one that I was hearing about earlier that people have no fucking clue about. Um, mm -hmm allow for diversified workloads and encourage professional development, which I think is also important. Provide secondary traumatic stress education to encourage open discussion among staff and admin, which would be great. Make, that would be fantastic. Yeah, right? So make counseling resources and employee assistance programs available and accessible to all staff. Like make sure that they know it's there, please. And so like make um, a position so somebody can just check in too. Like yeah. just one person walk around the hospital, just like ask everybody like, Hey, have you, did you know that this is here? And, or what do you think we could do to make it, like you said, more accessible for people? Yeah. They have and no one that checks in. That is such a good point. How much money does a hospital make? How much money is given to admin? How much money could be given to someone to fill a position to say, okay, Hey, I'm here for your self-care needs on behalf of the organization or hell, even like you have something on that. Actually, that just reminded me of something. Real quick. Mm -hmm. So again, cause I'm a nerd and I check my email. Um, uh, as soon as I get there, I was so bothered by this and it might be stupid, but, um, our CEO, our cup, the company that owns my hospital is huge. We have hospitals all over the state. Um, the CEO, so the top dude sent everybody, an email, everyone down to like me, the PCT that is the lowest level, right? Um, an email that said, um, due to poor financial investments that they made last year, I obviously have no decision in that, right. but they made poor um, investment decisions and they lost a bunch of money. 
Um, not not an insane amount to shut down hospitals. We're still building new hospitals. So clearly they're doing okay, but they lost so much um, that they expect us to be more flexible. <laughs> and um, so if we, again, need like to do more hours or if they need to delegate more job responsibilities on us, they expect us to be more open-minded with that until we all, like the whole company hits that, like gets out of us out of the red, right? With our budget. Like it was so mind blowing to me that they had the audacity <laughs> to send that to people who obviously all they lost was probably that CEO's bonus money for the year. And right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, if you guys are a little bit more flexible and we give you 10 more responsibilities on top of your already, you know, completely full plate, uh, we'll give you a bonus. Nope. It was nothing like that. It was just, they expect us to be more flexible and open-minded to get us out of the red. And I just thought that was crazy. Wow. Like you, mm -hmm. wow. So you mean to tell me like the, the higher ups couldn't take like a, just a quick little pay reduction, bro. And everything could just be running fine, smooth as possible. <laughs> Y'all fucking with my money now. Y'all fucking with my mental health because you lost money, bro. Exactly. Our mental health is non it's, it, you can't write mental health issues on a paper, you know, it's just, they, they look at the, the paper and what, you know, is in the red and what is doing well. And that's all that we are just figures. And that's very sad. Yo, that I, I agree. That's, that's rough, man. It sounds like we're getting more into this, uh, corporatocracy, but mm -hmm. that's, I swear to God, that's a whole different episode. But I swear, so much content <laughs> coming from this one episode. Okay. Uh, so regarding the uh, compassion fatigue study that was mentioned earlier, um, <laughs> the most promising trend uh, was for the effectiveness and interventions involving the element focused on teaching and or bolstering resilience, um, all of which showed improvement in compassion satisfaction. Uh, these findings are encouraging as they suggest that workers in at-risk occupational groups can be taught to cope with the known risk factors for the development of compassion fatigue, which are also unfortunately unavoidable parts of the job. <laughs> it's something you're just going to have to deal with. Um, so the study suggests um, a need to invest in programs such as the accelerated program for compassion fatigue, um, which is a five session model for the treatment of deleterious, which is harmful effects of or effects that caregivers experience as a result of their caregiving at work through the promotion of resilience and self-efficacy, self um, which resulted in participants feeling more uh, empowered, more energetic, and having a stronger sense of self-worth. So I think, I think we've echoed it at least three or four times, and I will say it at least one more time before the end of the episode. Um, if we have so much money for or from these organizations to be running, you know, different protocols, different, we can invest in so much equipment, we can buy all this extra shit. Um, why not invest in programs that will help keep the people who are keeping that shit running, running? You know what I mean? Like, do that. Yep. Yeah, regarding compassion fatigue, I feel like, again, it's it's preventable. Um, I mean, not necessarily preventable, like, throughout your entire career, because you're, you're going to experience it. If you're in the caretaking healthcare um, industry, it's, it's going to happen. It's... Rather, let, let me amend that. Let me amend that. It's going to happen if you do your job effectively and care about what you're doing. I love uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And so, like I tell some of my other, like some of my coworkers, like if you're, if you're working there and doing the job the way it's intended, 
it should be a little difficult. Every day should be a little hard. You should not just be able to breathe through the day because these kids were in trauma. And if you're just having super hella easy days at work, something else is going on. Absolutely. That's what I always say to you, like the nurses and aides that I see just having just such a chill shift as I'm running around sweating my balls off, like, and they're just sitting there, you know, just chatting away and catching up on their social stuff. And, um, you know, they just, they leave and they're like, oh, let's, you know, let's just go out and just, you know, have a couple of drinks. And they're just so just, they're not drained at all. And I always question that, but then I started catching on that they're not doing anything in their shift and they, you know, aren't, they're, they're the ones that are not going in those rooms and talking to the patients. They're not checking in if they need little things like you should be doing and, and stuff. So it makes me feel better in a sense that I'm stressed, but at least I'm getting something out of it by helping people. But, you know, I don't, I was, sometimes I wish I could be in a bubble like them. <laughs> Just <laughs> You know, it must be nice. Swear. Right. Right. Oh live so carefree. You know, I, I actually, I was one time envious of those who could live so blissfully. Um, I mean, now I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, you know, what, I'll accept the curse. Like I'm here. I care. Whatever. Yeah. Cause you're making a difference in the world. And yeah. that's the only thing that gets me through this is I I'm making a difference. So even though no one should suffer for making a difference in the world, you, you know, <clears throat> it's more of a, if you want to make a difference and you want to have an impact <clears throat> and you want to help people, then and, and you want to get into the healthcare or or just working with the public in general, I think you should just automatically assume you're going to have to do that Google search on how to <laughs> deal with compassion fatigue or ways to de-stress yourself. Because at this point, like we were saying, the companies don't really offer as much as you think they would to help. So we all just need to be like independent on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. So if you or anyone you know are struggling with any of the issues relating to anything we talked about in this episode, please reach out, please seek help, please be there for one another. This world is wild, this world is crazy, but we're trying, and I think that should count for something. Um, you got anything else? Um, just just do a lot of self-care, people. I, th- I think a lot of us forgot that we matter just as much as our patients or the people we take care of matter. Um, and if you don't take care of yourself first, then everything else is just going to crumble. It's Absolutely. so big. Yo, it's true. And like, I have so many quotes I can think of regarding, you know, take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Um, yeah, great stuff. So, <laughs> yo, we'll catch y'all on the next episode. I right, bye. Don't come for me. No, but this is actually fun. It's informative because I've already learned a couple of things that I didn't know or things that I hadn't thought about.